On this week's episode, we're talking about the TPL. That's right, the Task Parallel Library and everything that you ever wanted to know and didn't want to know about async, await programming, and all the joy that it can bring to your development experience. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Visual Studio Live conferences are the world's trusted educational provider of developer-focused content since 1993. The Visual Studio Live conferences are all throughout the year, all over the United States, and they cover amazing topics for Microsoft developers, including ALM and DevOps, Visual Studio 2017, .NET Core, Azure, and Xamarin. You name it, they cover it. There's amazing speakers, including yours truly. I'll be at a bunch of the VS Live events this year. There's amazing other speakers, such as Laurent Bonyan, Rachel Appel, Scott Hanselman, Billy Hollis, Deborah Carada, Nick Landry, and so many more. They have upcoming conferences in May in Austin with still time to register, June in Washington, D.C., August in Redmond, September in Chicago, October in Anaheim, and November in Orlando. Merge Conflict listeners can get $400 off registration to any Visual Studio Live conference by entering coupon code MERGECONFLICT at checkout. Go to vslive.com to learn more. Frank, it seems like every programming language out there nowadays, they all want the very, very magical async await that we have known yeah. and loved for so many years in the world of C Sharp. And it's kind of surprising all these developers that I go talk to, when they see it for the first time, they're completely confused. And I understand yeah. because when I saw it the first time, I was completely confused too. Uh, so I wanted to kind of deep dive today. If it's okay with you, if we can <laughs> roll back the TPL, is that okay? Oh, yeah. The- task parallel library i actually worked on this a little bit in one of my former careers i got to be on the uh the ground floor of when it was created and oddly enough i remember uh when we first got the tpl it was going to make all all multi-threaded programming easy again Mm -hmm. but i remember i was slow to actually learn it (laughs) it took me forever (laughs) to actually get off my butt and learn because you know i knew how to do multi-threaded programming i had locks and stuff Oh, I love locks. Who doesn't love a good lock? I mean, (laughs) I go back to use locks now and I get so confused, but I still use them on occasion, mostly for database work for some odd reason. I don't know if that's correct, but probably shouldn't, Uh, but I do. Whatever. No, the locks have their place. So uh, the locks allow you to execute one piece of code once at a time, no matter how many processors you have, all that. It just, it simplifies the world back into kind of what we're used to. One one process to deal with, not thinking about a million processes. Yeah, and and I think you and I were talking about this earlier before we were we're like, can we actually do an episode on the TPL? And and we said, sure, <laughs> let's give it a try. And it's actually funny because I remember when I started Xamarin. Oh, geez, five years ago, four years ago, five years ago now. And I think Jeremy Laval, I think he wrote like the TPL for the Mono Stack, and he was telling right. me like how difficult it was. It was crazy. <laughs> And if people don't know, so TPL, like you said, Task Parallel Library, and this is kind of a set of APIs that stem from system.threading and inherently system.threading.task, which is what probably most developers in the world of C-sharp interact with today. But uh, it really all started, I guess, before that. Because, I mean, if you started with Xamarin or .NET for a long time ago, all we had was like the thread pool. Is that all we had? Yeah. It's hard to yeah. remember. Well. I mean, .NET, one of the big things it introduced was easy threading. <laughs> and Got to have those threads. Yeah, yeah. So if we wanted to create a new thread, like a parallel execution, it was super easy. You say new thread, pass it a function, and away it goes. The problem was that was just so much 
power that we didn't really know what to do with the thread after that. Mm -hmm. So like we would try to exchange data with it. That's when we start creating our locks. That's all that stuff. So, but anyway, we've always had threads and then we always had this thing called the thread pool, which was if I need to create and destroy threads very quickly, this did it more efficiently. So we've always had it, but we've always had that one caveat. So you, you said you've met, you, you love the lock. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's, yeah, for me, it, it was, it, it's always difficult because so if you kind of roll back, like, okay, why do we even need threading? Why do we need a TPL? Why do we need these things? Well, we need a thread pool because the idea of threads is that when you, when you click a button and you need to go do something. So for anyone that's not like technical, and when you click a button to log in or like pull data from the server, um, it's going off on some non-user interface thread. There's a main UI thread of every application. You get one. Because it's the <laughs> only UI. one. You get it's one. 2017, and we still have one UI thread. You know, my whole life. I hope. I hope when I retire, I have a multi-threaded UI. Won't that be a magical? <laughs> one day, you get one. You just get one, <laughs> and uh, that one gets an update. And now the thing is, if you, you, so you want to start off this other thread, and you don't want to manage that thread because if you manage starts threads, then it's it's a bad world of background <laughs> stuff. But the idea is that you're doing stuff off of that UI thread. And then when it comes back, you need to then execute again on that UI thread. So like yeah. when I got started with like Windows Phone and other like kind of mobile stuff where you really had to be aware of the UI threads, you would essentially say like invoke on main UI or something like that. Yeah. I think there was like some delegate thing and you could invoke an action. So I'd go off to the background and say, okay, now, now it's time to update the UI. Now go do this work. So you'd have all of these crazy like nestings of go do this on this background thing, go do this other thing. Now at some point, go do this other thing on the UI thread. And it became like really nasty. Yeah, it started out simple. So like the easy case is I want to go do a bunch of work. So I click the button and then the CPU goes off, does a bunch of work, and then eventually it's going to end and I want to be notified when it's mm -hmm. done. So that's pretty easy. Like you said, you just do this uh, callback function or something like that. And then uh, you invoke it on the main thread. And that lets you resynchronize all the data. The problem is, <laughs> what if you want to like pop up a dialog, have the user interact for a second, and then go back to heavy processing again or do something crazy again? And that's when, like you said, you start building all these crazy state machines to decide like you, you have a million booleans in your view code that says like, am I doing this? Did the user do that? Did this happen? Did that happen? And then all of a sudden you're changing those booleans on different threads and Basically, that's every multi-threaded app. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> and so we need them. And I think the thread pool. So when you, we had all that power, right, we could easily run into um, like deadlocks. We could easily run into accessing shared memory, uh, race conditions, because these threads are like when you're spiraling things off, there's all these race conditions. Like what if that one like goes before this other one? I remember when I worked at Canon, we we're doing image processing because, you know, I love printers <laughs> and, you know, I love processing images, Frank, and you got to do it quick. So some of these PDFs yeah. are like really intense. So we wrote these huge libraries to do all this image processing. And the idea was like, hey, these machines have X amount of cores. So we would want to, you know, spin mm -hmm. off as many threads. Use all of them. <laughs> you got to use, use every cores. core. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not even just multi-thread. That's multi-core processing. And like, it, it's very it's crazy. Um, and you run into all these weird edge cases of your, you know, you need to make, you essentially need to synchronize all of those, 
multi-threads all together. And yeah. up until .NET 4, it, it was not quite easy to do, right? You do these locks, you yeah. do these all these things, and then TPL came in to solve it. Yeah, like I said, they tried to help us. They gave us locks. Locks were really easy. In fact, they were really efficient, too. I don't know if you've ever measured their performance, but they had just ridiculous performance characteristics. So locks were great, but yeah, we were all failing at it. We all needed a better solution, but I don't think anyone knew like what to do, really. Um, we, we had developed the continuation passing style, which is so popular in the JavaScript world where you just start passing what a function should do at the end of the function. So every time I call a function, I tell it what to do when it's done and you do that and you do that. That seemed like the best approach, but it was so hard to do like error handling. Like Mm. if, if God forbid something failed down in that cycle, you just couldn't catch it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was just bringing back my bad memories there for yeah, you. Bad memories. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, but but Microsoft saved our bacon, right? They uh, they invented a wait. <laughs> yes, async await, await specifically. Async yes. await. <laughs> well, and and that's all based off of the task based programming model. So, like with the TPL and tasks, you would do something like task.factory.start new, and you would spin something off. Someone's going to say, "Hey." This is actually important to realize is that the the TPL, the task parallel library, is not the thread parallel library. It is Mm. the task parallel library, which means that what it aims to do is simplify all this locking and backgrounding and threading for you and say, listen, uh, think of a chunk of code as a task. Like this task wants to execute somewhere and it may want to execute on some background thread and but a thread could handle 20 tasks. So we're not going to let you manage the threads. We got that. We'll handle the threading and you can spin up multiple tasks. And then when they're done, you can do something. So normally you'd say like continue with, and then maybe invoke on the UI or something like that. And, or you could even specify the, uh, uh, the task scheduler. You could say, Hey, listen, task scheduler, because you're kind of scheduling stuff, right? You're saying, do this thing and start it now. But you could say start it later or finish later, do whatever you want to do. And you could pass in like cancellation tokens, which are super cool. There's all these really complex things, like a thousand overrides, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, well, let me actually address that. So the way I like to think about the task is they're just basically threads version two, like threads done right. <laughs> yeah. One of the problem with threads, I, we can name, continue to name them, but um, was they were tied to operating system level resources. And the operating system has its own limits. Things are kind of slow to spin up, things like that. And so you as a programmer, while you were creating these threads, in a way, you were kind of binding yourself to the machine a bit. Like you could get it to run really well on your machine, but who knows how well it would run on more cores or fewer cores, things like that. So this test parallel library, one of the nice things it provides is that abstraction. A, a task is not guaranteed to be a thread. They often are, but you know, whatever. Um, but the nice thing is the system can manage it. So it can look at the system specs and decide what to do. Uh, the thread pool used to do that too, but it's just, you know, threads version two. And then, like you said, uh, they actually baked in cancellation, which turns out it's a modern world. People get frustrated if you can't cancel things. That's probably one of my favorite features is their cancellation support. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what was the last one? I'm blanking now. <laughs> the, uh, the task scheduler. So the idea of... Yes. Yeah, and there's like continuation options too, but the task scheduler, That's if I look one. at it, um, 
looking through the documentation, which I, I love. Like, this is really good documentation I'm going to link to in the show notes. <laughs> wow. But the scheduler, which is system threading task, task scheduler, it says it, it's a way to associate an object um, kind of for the queuing. So, like, what thread, essentially, do you want it to come back on? So there was current, default, an ID, or maximum concur- concurrency level. And even crazier, you can create your own schedulers if you want. So if you have, like, if I'm writing a game engine or something and I want very per- precise control of who's going to execute what and when, I can, I'm pretty sure I can override a task scheduler and do it. Yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah, and then the continue option, like the continuation options, it's, it's crazy too. Those are like <laughs> kind of say like, hey, what yeah. kind of happens says what what behavior do you want when it's created with the continue with method so um you can do all sorts of continuation options there's like hide scheduler lazy cancellation long running not on canceled like not on fit like all these different options that you can pass into it it's it gets really really kind of <laughs> crazy to do but you know it's nice that you can do it and i think a lot of problems in libraries that i even see today when they start to use an I think this wasn't a problem until we got into the world of how do we as developers start to create these asynchronous task-based yeah. um, um, APIs and then also handle all of these things like cancellation and all this stuff. Like I'm mm-hmm. definitely guilty of it, which is that hardly any of my methods take in a cancellation to- token, <laughs> which is bad because it's like, I got now I got to do a bunch of work to say, I know oh, you, you got to pass it around. It's tough. It's, it's, it, it, they, solved cancellation but they didn't make it like super easy or anything so as programmers we still we 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 don't want to we don't get to write the code we wish we could write instead we got to keep passing around this stupid object and dealing with it and dealing with all the problems it creates when people cancel in the middle of things but i i like it i i think it's forcing us all to just adopt a kind of rigorous approach something else uh it finally occurred to me that i wanted to say about how this is threads 2.0 is that every task can have a result so they took that super common case of i want to do something on the background and then get a value back and just bake that in straight into the api so it's super mm-hmm. easy to just get values back from these tasks also and that's where all your options for your continue is and do this after that kind of stuff comes from yeah because the idea is that you're going to not always just execute some code you want to return a person or an integer yeah. or a boolean so you could say task task of bool and then that's a, that's what your result would be yeah um, it's just the most common case and they just they're like let's just do it so they made that trivial and then something really cool happened, which is that while we had this task thing for a long time, they introduced async await, which is kind of what you talked about earlier. And then I cut you off right, a, right, a, <laughs> right as soon because we couldn't. I didn't want to jump into it because without yeah. explaining tasks, you can't comprehend async await, which revolutionized right. TPL. It's that's fair. That's fair. So um, let's see. Let's let's go back to problems being solved. So they gave us tasks, and we had the easy solution to the go do something in the background and get a result back problem. Mm-hmm. So that was great. But we still didn't have a solution to the composition problem. Do something on the background. Do it on the foreground. Do it on the background. Do it on the foreground again. Yeah. Like that whole long scenario. Because everybody loves a good callback block. Yeah. Well, 
you gotta you, you gotta bug the user you gotta be like hey look i finished yippee mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh let's see the problem was we had these tasks uh and we could call these we could pass them off function do this when you're done executing but we we're back into that world i was already complaining about of um you keep passing a callback into a callback into a callback it's callbacks all the way down and all of a sudden your code is just nested arrow. nested nested just a big arrow indenting <laughs> non-stop like it's like dll hell but it's like arrow just a callback hell a callback hell that's kind of what it yeah. is yeah good yeah. good going edge yeah um and then uh okay so that's not so bad but you're kind of writing this uh write once code like maintaining it, it's kind of a problem but then things get really ugly when you actually try to do error handling and all mm. the javascript programmers out there know what i'm talking about there's grand debates of how do you pass errors between all these continuations and so we got a wait. And what does a wait do? It makes it so that you can write your code exactly how we used to write our code, line by line by line, but it magically transforms it into this continuation passing style so we don't have to deal with anything. Mm-hmm. Magic. Yeah. And, and then what they did is not only did they introduce these keywords into the language, but then they took the APIs, the most common ones that were doing stuff on the background, and they made them all async awaitifiable, oh, such yeah. as um, an HTTP client, right? This is the most common. This is how I explain async await to like everybody. I go, all right, I'm going to call this method to get the weather. Yeah, okay, we're going to get some weather. I'm going to, you know, take the string and I'm going to do some string formatting. That's done on the UI thread. Who cares, right? And uh, it's really fast. But <laughs> the network call that network call, I'm going to go make that asynchronously. I'm going to say get string or get stream async. And that's a big, um, you know, that's something that has to go on the background because who knows if you're low latency, you don't have network, or it's a huge blob that's going to take a minute to download. You're downloading images. So that'll go off and do that all asynchronously. But it's a single line of code. And you just say await, like var info equals await, get this stream async. And then you get the stream back. And what's really cool is that as soon as that next line is available, it doesn't lock your app. Your UI is fully responsive, but how the compiler handles it behind the scenes is it basically puts everything underneath that you write into a callback block that it hides from you. And then when it's done, it just executes it. So it's like UI, background, UI, but it's three lines of code and you don't have to worry about any of it. It's like a beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing. (laughs) It's like it's the it's most powerful C sharp feature, I think, ever that yeah. we ever had. I, I'll go with that. I like generics too, but yeah, I'll oh, go generics. with that. <laughs> but you know what? It reminds me of like the programs I've I first started writing in Basic. It was always uh, read some input from the user, get it, do something with it, read some more input from the user, do it, and with event-based GUI kind of programming, you could never do that. Instead, you subscribe to events. Um, you just kept a bunch of state variables trying to remember which part of the form you're in or which part of the scenario or game loop you're in. And then you would compare all those. And it was really nasty. And it was error-prone and bug-prone and all that stuff. But now we can just write code like basic. And we just say, uh, you know, start to download. And then the next line can say, uh, start the progress bar, <laughs> and then it can bind the two. Then it can say, wait for the download to finish. Then it can hide the progress bar and continue on. And yeah. you can just write that out in like four lines of code. It's fantastic. Uh, 
It's so great. It it's really nice. And I you I mean, there there are a lot of benefits to async or async await programming. Like one, it's like really, really fast because it's all compile time and like the the stuff is all compiled up for you. So you don't have to handle this the hmm. the mess that's generated. But like once you go in, you're all in. And and at this point we're <laughs> all in in general. But uh there's something that's cool because the problem is that while async await you can start to create these um, methods uh, that take in parameters and you have a task that returns some stuff. The problem always happened to be, for me at least, that, okay, it's cool that Microsoft async awaitified all these APIs, but what about like Apple's APIs <laughs> that have no idea about <laughs> async await or that are all event-based? Yeah. You're talking about events. So mm-hmm. imagine that you need to um, ask a permission. Say, hey, do I have permission to the camera? Well, there's a callback there's an event, not even a callback. Mm-hmm. There's an event that gets fired. But how do you async awaitify that? Like in the permissions yeah. plugin that I create, my actual method is like um, request permission async and you pass it some parameters. So what you can do is you can um, create this thing called the task completion source, which essentially allows you to return a task of the source and then set it later. So you can say, I'm going to create this task completion source and it's going to return a Boolean. And then later on, anytime anyone could await on that. And then when that event fires and you get that event back, you just say set result or set error. And then it will, it'll just async awaitify like that event. It's mind boggling. Like I'm going to put a, yeah, this is, this is a really powerful tool. And I, I want to actually draw the analogy back to threads 1.0 again. So in threads mm-hmm. 1.0, we've always had these things called events and events. Uh, there were two kinds. Um, it doesn't matter, but basically they'd just be sitting there and you could say fire event. And then anyone listening to the event would be notified that that event happened. It was a good system. The problem with it was that you couldn't pass data. It's that classic thing again of like, you don't know when your thread ends and your thread needs to pass you data back. So these events were just on off. Did the event fire or not? So inevitably you would end up building these bigger constructs so that you could start passing data with these events. Well, thankfully, the task library fixed that. They created this thing called the task completion source, which is an odd name for an event, but that's what, really what it is. And But it, it just fits into the library so nicely. It, it creates a task, as, it, as its name says, and it acts like an event. And with it, yeah, you can make all the old code, all the old libraries that you use, you can async them. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. It, it it like once I figured out how to use it properly, I I started like revolutionizing all of my libraries with it. I'm like, <laughs> I actually understand how this works. And the cool part is that yeah, you can set exceptions and you can set errors and like you can return all this information. And and when I say yeah, that you well, have to opt into this stuff, is because of that error handling. Because when you start async, there's this weird problem that the developers, we talk a lot of good about the TPL and we talk a lot of good about tasks and a lot about async await and how much I love it. And it simplifies the, and the problem is that if you just start taking all these methods and saying, well, I need to call some asynchronous stuff in here. So I need to wait on it. But if that method that gets called is a void and you throw async on top of it, like you're about to be in a world of hurt unless it's a click handler or a handler of some sort or some event. But if it is just a method, no. you can't you're, you're do in that. a world of hurt. It's, it's a, a world, world of hurt. hurt. 
Yeah. yeah. So, so they designed that. So the issue here is you're creating a task, but not ever returning it, not ever telling anyone that you created a task. So that just task just goes and runs. And what happens when it's done running? Well, maybe nothing. That's that's kind of fine. But here's another question. What happens if the task fails? Should I notify anyone? I don't know. So right now, the uh, the scenario is if you create a task and it fails, the default is your app will actually crash. Someone actually has to be paying attention to catch that error. Yeah, it's got to go somewhere. Yeah, it's got to go somewhere. But I do want to take this moment to mention something really fun and cool. Um, we mentioned that you can override the task scheduler. And that means that you can actually override the main threads task scheduler. And that means, wow, I'm finding it really hard to say that word, <laughs> task scheduler. There's like eight S's in there. Um, <laughs> you can override it so that uh, when a task does go astray or throws an exception, um, you can actually catch it and do something with it if no one's paying attention to it. But the library really does push you to pay attention. If someone creates a task, you better pay attention to its result. Yeah. Now, this is this is important because you have to pay attention to a result, but not dot result. And that is very <laughs> important. So do not touch dot result. <laughs> yeah. So this is a this is a um, a legacy problem, I want to say that a lot of developers run into is because maybe they've been using the TPL for a while and there aren't like a task has a dot wait on it because you're going to wait for it to complete and it has a dot result on it um, because it's the result and, and those are mostly for when you are doing the continue with because, oh, I'm going to wait for this to be done and it already it knows how to continue with it later on. So the problem here is let's say you new up a new task and you don't await it, but you just say, oh, well, dot dot result, right? Like task dot run. Frank does like, yeah, Frank's awesome logic. And then you have this task. Now, remember, you have a task and it's executing some code and what it wants to do, what the task wants to do is it wants to wait. It wants to await for it to complete and then give you back that value. But when you say dot on that task, there is a dot result. So you're like, oh, dot results. And that should give me the result when it's done. You would assume. Yeah. Nay, that is not how that works <laughs> because it's not done and it'll lock your application. No, that's exactly what it does. It gives you the result when it's done, but it's going to lock up your application until it's done. Yeah, so that's the problem. They gave you those two shortcuts. Um, dot result is kind of like calling dot wait, and then you get the result. Mm -hmm. So they're both kind of linked at the hip there. Yeah, if you're using task, you should really use continue with and all that. There are scenarios where you can cheat, but, you know, like if I create a background thread and I know for a fact it's a background thread, then I can actually wait for these tasks to finish. But Unless you're an experienced multi-threaded programmer or anything like that, stay away from dot result and dot wait. They're not your friend in this case. Yeah. But you do bring up um, an issue, and that is, um, so I have an old code base, and I throw in a little await function here. And then I notice, oh, okay, so the function that calls that has become asynchronous. And now, hmm, now every function that called that one, huh, now that has to become asynchronous. Oh, every function that called those ones have, it's this, uh, it's a little viral. Have you noticed that? It is. Once it gets in there, it just likes to burrow and then it spreads <laughs> like a plague. Um, it, it's, it's not hard. a plague. It's a plague we love. <laughs> it's a good plague. It's a positive plague. And uh, I actually had this when I was updating um the uh, what was i updating the my media center application not too long ago 
I created this app six, seven years ago now, 2011, so six years ago. And it was all .NET 4, 3, 5, and then 4. So it was all task and continuous Mm -hmm. all over the place. And there was no async await programming. So when I created like a Windows um, Store 8 application, that had async await programming in it. And I had to kind of mucks around and do a lot of if defs in there to say like, oh, if Mm -hmm. this, then do that. If if why not do this? And that worked okay. Um, But... I went to go update it again and I was like, oh, maybe I should add this new library that like updates this thing. Like, oh, now it's all async awaitified. Like, oh, should mm-hmm. I update the library? Like, do I have to? Or maybe I won't update the library. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm so, I have to like reverse my my stanza on it because I'm like, I don't wanna go and just go down this treasure yeah. trove of updating every single line. But it's, it's worth it at the end of the day, I think. It is, it, for me, it's mostly that error handling. I love the cancellation, but I'm often lazy and don't have my own <laughs> cancellation for everything. But it's really the error handling. When when you did it the old-fashioned way and an error happened, it was so hard to trap that. Remember, we were spending all our time trying to remember how to uh, to communicate and trap the result of the process. But then we have to repeat all that work for the error. And just for me, I just didn't do it. But you mentioned, like, when I started in... Monotouch, the original project for mm-hmm. Xamarin, it, we didn't have the TPL. And so I have some pretty old code that does some pretty terrible, wicked things that I, I still need to upgrade over time. But it, I don't know. It's, it, it's, hard, it's hard to justify upgrading code that works and all that kind of stuff. But for new code, yeah, I, I just let the virus take over. The question, so the question is a lot of people, like even me, like, should I start async awaitifying everything that I do? Let's say I want to just deserialize some JSON. Like, is that worth Mm -hmm. doing that or like reading a file from the system? Like, is is everything, is it worth it or is there some overhead to it? Like, that's my biggest, I understand a network call, right? Because literally I'm accessing the network. But if I'm accessing a SQLite database to read two two, uh, entries, is that that worth (laughs) asyncifying? Yes, it's fine. Yes, yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. So what is the overhead of async await? Um, Whenever you create one of these tasks, obviously you're allocating an object. So, you know, take a little bit of a memory hit there. And then worse than that, you're throwing that object through the big scheduler system because it is decoupled from the hardware. They have all their own code that does all that. Mm. So there's some CPU time there. But if you're talking about a network access, (laughs) it's going to be lightning fast compared to a network access. The overhead will be irrelevant, basically. Yeah, Yeah. so there's no worries there. you don't put this into like a ray tracer. You don't do this for every pixel. You don't await every pixel in like an image or something. But aside from that, you're going to be fine. Yeah. So so for most general work is okay. But yeah, when you're doing like yeah drawing or something like that, yeah. it's probably not going to be yeah, what you do. Actually, I, I, I shouldn't derail us too much here, but I should mention that TPL has one aspect that we didn't ever mention, and they have these uh, things called parallel loops. Mm. And so if you have a section of your code, which is just a loop over a big chunk of data, and you think to yourself, well, actually, I can process each bits of those data independently from each other. They're not coupled to each other. They have no data sharing between each other. Then you can do them in parallel. You can process mm. that big loop in parallel. And there's these primitives called like uh, parallel for, parallel for each, things like that. It's basically link, but a parallel version of link. I think it used mm-hmm. to be actually called plink. 
And so that's always available. And that's there when you want to do data processing. Like the await stuff that we talk about is mostly for user interaction and coordinating lots of events, that kind of stuff. But sometimes you just want to use all your CPU cores so you can blast through the data like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, those are there too. Yeah. yeah, and you can you can also spin up like four or five different tasks all at one time, and then you can wait when all are done, too. Oh, yeah. The coordination stuff is great. I mean, th- that that's one of the biggest benefits. When we were doing thread programming, the best you could do is be notified when a thread finished. Well, what if I want to know when two threads finished, or this mm-hmm. one failed and the other one finished? Like, it, it got complicated, and that's why everyone's software failed. <laughs> but now they gave us these composition things, so it's easy to say, like, I want to run these three tasks in parallel. When they finish, I'll run this task. When that finishes, then I'll run these six tasks in parallel. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> have you now you talked a little bit about some other programming languages like JavaScript and other things. Like, have you used any? Because async await to me was always this powerhouse feature, and why I fell in love with Xamarin too was because they took like mm-hmm. the iOS and Android APIs and async awaitified them. So, like, mm-hmm. if you were on UI view, you could say dot animate or dot animate async, and like Xamarin, like the magical people <laughs> there in the team of binding people they wrote all those things for you and the, the tools became so good that they could say like, oh, this has a callback block in the Objective-C version. We're just going to create the async version. Yeah. And, and I thought we thought that was one of the most powerful features that we had as C-sharp developers besides generics, like you said. But it seems like every other programming language is sort of kind of getting it, maybe getting async away a, <laughs> a little bit. Like, I know Google added into the low, low libraries of, I think, Google Play Services uh, an actual task, like the, the the task itself, like they basically recreated the C sharp task, and then JavaScript. JavaScript has like promises. Have you played around with any of this stuff? Really? Yeah, a, a promise is pretty much a task. So th- this concept of task is not new. Um, in computer science, they're, they're usually called futures. It's as in it's a future value, and let me know when I have that value or whatnot. And that's the whole getting back to these processes return something. They they have mm-hmm. a value associated with them. So they're called futures in JavaScript. They're called promises, as in I promise to return you a value. We call them tasks because we like to focus on the work rather than the result. For some reason, I don't know. Microsoft named it. Yeah. Not our fault. Uh, so I, I've tried most of these. Um, I, I can't stand the JavaScript because it, you get into that callback world that I've just mm-hmm. been so happy to be out of. But then as far as I know, like TypeScript, I believe, just got a wait. So it'll do that great compiler trick of doing all the crazy callback stuff for you. Given promises, it'll turn it into nice, neat code instead of promise ugly heavy code. Got it. Yeah, and it seems like that's kind of an evolving and it's every single library and things well, like I that. Sh- I'm- I, I have to mention F-sharp too, right? So <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> this feature kind of came out of F-sharp also. F-sharp has a higher level, more generic way to do all this stuff. And async and awaiting are just one aspect of this higher level feature that F-sharp has. <laughs> but mm. I just like to mention that. And these are, this is all related to the concept of coroutines, if you're a computer science person. Uh, yes. And even vaguely related to monads if you want to yes. go crazy. <laughs> so the, the concept is actually uh, neat. 
Do you remember when they first introduced yield return in C Sharp? Oh, yield return. So cool. When you actually figure yeah. out how to use it properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was so you could create streaming lists without having mm-hmm. to load everything into memory. You could just do it one item at a time. And they were mm-hmm. super cool. They super were great before we had Link. Link kind of replaced them, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it turns out the transformation that you do for those uh, infinite lists is the same one you do for these tasks. And so mm. it's just this high level general concept, but it's cool. Nice. Hmm. Man, it's so cool. I need to, I need to take a look at some of the other programming languages and see what they're doing. But I will say that even async await in C sharp is evolving too. And one of the big problems that a lot of people had for a long time were tuples, 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 tuple tuples. <laughs> I, I say tuple. Tuples. I don't know. So the tuple structure in C sharp has been around for a while, but they're kind of crappy tuples and they are, you couldn't even async await them. It was impossible. (laughs) Um, And the new tuples, C sharp seven tuples, you can totally async await them and you can totally do, and you can wrap them in tasks. You can do all this great stuff. So if you were like, oh, James, well, tuples, I use tuples 100% in every single method. You know, that's all I'm returning is tuples. <laughs> I don't declare any types. <laughs> I don't declare any types. Only tuples, only item one, item two. The new, and that's all I care about. Um, the new tuples, which you can just say like dot first name, dot last name, too, in the structure of it, they're all async await findable too. So I kind of like that, you know, we've had the TPL, we have tasks, we have async await, but I think Microsoft and 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 Mads and the whole team hasn't forgotten about this powerful feature so i'm hoping to see more more features coming to to it to kind of simplify it and and i don't know handle some other edge cases like that too which would be nice yeah they they can always make more improvements to cancellation help our lives out a little bit better make it easier for us and all that but basically i think we kind of did this episode because i was doing some python programming and i was really missing a weight and so it was really just on my mind i'm like even though it's a virus it's a virus you really miss once you don't have it <laughs> it's fun you gotta get you get i mean once i whenever i show it to people that have never done asynchronous programming which is still a lot of new people because you may be stuck in the .NET. 2.0 world or something. When I show it to them, they say, like, mind blown. They simply love it. And, and I didn't know how we were going to fit 40 minutes into async away programming, but we totally did. It's probably great. Someone will probably yell at us and tell us we're all wrong, but that's fine. You totally Please. can anytime uh, on Twitter. Just just literally tell us on Twitter how much you love and or hate async await at mergeconflict.fm. And and honestly, we've had a great discussion on, on Twitter recently. A lot of our listeners, especially with our... Um, our, uh, our our one on test driven development, I like Greg Shackles. He's all like, they grow up so fast, and then <laughs> a lot of people talking about just like you know why they do UI tests or 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 is it possible to do it in other scenarios? Um, and I think that a lot of people around that were really um, surprised that it took so long for these tools to catch up. So uh, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool just to, to to interact with with all of our great listeners. Uh, and also to get comments and emails. So we always like to do one or two listener kind of feedbacks and talking about F sharp from that exact episode, the code coverage and TDD stuff, John wrote in, he said that F sharp, I didn't know this, that F sharp type providers can help with testing too. He says that using the F sharp.data.sql client can statically check the types on your SQL server on the fly. That's bananas. And he says that it basically creates the integration test through static typing. Um, And he was really surprised that more and more tools like this um, aren't becoming a standard. And in 2017, things like live unit testing should should be there everywhere. 
But uh, that's pretty cool. I didn't know type of providers could do that. I mean, they can do lots of stuff. Yeah, that that was always a super super sexy feature of that type provider is that it would just scan the database and generate the schema for you. It would generate all your data access objects, all your queries. Oh, it's super fancy. Yeah. What well, definitely let language. us know. Yeah, let us know if you love the F Sharp, just like Frank loves the F Sharp. Um, you can also find us in many places, like I said, on Twitter, on our website, MergeConflict.fm. I started a new podcast. Did you see that, Frank? What? Uh, I think you told me and I totally forgot to listen. Tell me about it. I did. It's brand new. It's with my good friend and international chess master, Danny Wrench. Boom. Name drop. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to listen for him, not so much for you, but okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so Danny and I have been good friends for a long time, and he reached out to me, and he's like, James, uh, Mats, I miss you. I want to talk with you more. I said, I said, let's start a podcast. And he's a, he's a chess international master. He's wanted to do a podcast for a long time. And he's, he's amazing. He's, he's awesome. You're going to love his voice and, and the topics we talk about. But we wanted to kind of blend the worlds of chess which, which is his passion and a little bit of my p- passion, but then development and coffee, which Whoa. also he has a passion for and like some interest in development and blending the development and chess world sprinkled <laughs> with coffee at the same time. Um, and uh, it's called Coffee House Blunders, which is, a, is an awesome name. So Coffee House Blunders, and you can find it at blunders.fm. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, it's really cool. We start off and just have a conversation, but our main topics are why are why is technology destroying our lives and why doesn't chess matter? And we talk about that every single week. So you can tune in <laughs> every single week. It's great. Blunders yes. FM. I love that URL. Fantastic Blunders. Blunders.fm. When it was available, I'm like, bought, bought it. So we have two episodes out already, uh, probably three by the time you this is out. So definitely Check it out and check out us each and every week at mergeconflict.fm. And until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.